If you're not vulnerable, you will have a lot less pain, but a lot less love. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Howdy ho, my dearest shit shows. Today, we are diving deep with Dr. Morgan Anderson. She is a psychologist. She's an attachment theory expert, and she is a relationship coach who helps us gals fix our broken ass pickers. So I was introduced to Morgan through Tiffany Carter, who was on the pod a few weeks ago, and I knew very little about Morgan's uh, backstory prior to this conversation with her. I knew that there was something juicy in there or Tiffany wouldn't have suggested the two of us connect, but I did not expect for it to be as juicy and raw as it was. So you're in for a real damn treat. Uh, She holds nothing back Even so much so that she shares something with us that she hasn't even shared on her own damn podcast called Let's Get Vulnerable. That is my superpower, y'all, getting people to be vulnerable and open up. And that is a large part of the backstory of me creating this podcast was just all these crazy experiences where I am vulnerable with a stranger. And that creates the space for them to do the same. You know, I've heard countless times after talking to somebody for, I don't know, 15, 30 minutes. I can't believe I'm telling you this. I have not told anyone this. And I just had this happen this past Friday. So on Friday, I went to see my favorite yacht rock cover band, Mustache Harbor, the group that I went uh, to see them with one time with my Lyft driver. This time I did not go with my Lyft driver. This time I went alone. And uh, this is this is a fun experience for me, guys. Uh, I love to just be thrown into a room of strangers. Let's just see what happens here. And without fail, it's always a good time. Without fail, it's always interesting. Without fail, I connect with someone where it's so blatantly obvious that our paths were crossed for a divine purpose. And of course, that happened uh, again on Friday. I met this gentleman. It turned out that the podcast, the subject matter is relevant to him at this point in time. So I want to play for you the voicemail that he left me the next day. Hey, Andrea. Hope all's well. Hope you had a good rest of your weekend. Just wanted to try to connect uh, and see if we could find a time to get together this week, um, maybe for lunch or something. Um, I just uh, want to, it's just really strange that I met you uh, when I did with all the stuff that's going on in my life right now and the stuff that's swirling around in my head since, <laughs> since meeting you. And it's just very strange. I'm sure this probably happens a lot to you. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, give me a call back. Hope to hear back from you. You know, it's experiences like this, uh, messages that I receive from all y'all uh, sharing how the podcast is impacting your life. You know, that shit really helps me 
to remain in a, a place of faith. It's not 100 percent of the time, but 85 percent of the time that this is all going to, you know, work out and, and really helps me when I start spinning into fear of failure and just all that negative like self-talk Um the universe is clearly heavily involved with this plan and my plan. And I just need to trust that as long as I am living from a space of the highest good for all, everything is going to work out even better than I can imagine. Uh, So that is enough out of me. First, I want to give a shout out to my newest Patreon members. Patreon is where I host two weekly peer support groups on Zoom. It's also your way of just being a decent human and just saying, hey, Andrea, you know, I do have a buck a week or a buck 25 a week that I can spare like these fine individuals. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to T. I'll say Harriet. I don't remember if I said Harriet the last name. Harriet T. Meg Janine Joanna or Joanne, sorry, Kelly, Cece, Dory, Melanie, Annie, Chris, Shannon, Rowan, Regina, uh, Delilah or Delilah, Allie, Jill, Kristen, Aiden, Timothy, Alyssa, Scott, Sophie. Thank you, guys. Thank you so damn much. Now, just because I named a a, a lot of people there, uh, that does not mean that you're off the hook, guys. I still need y'all. So go join it, www.patreon.com slash adult child. And also while you're at it, or how about actually right now, you can give me a damn five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, please. And thank you. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own y'all it is my pleasure to introduce dr morgan anderson she is a relationship coach she's a clinical psychologist she is the host of let's get vulnerable and we're going to be getting real vulnerable with her so i wanted to start with this what tell me an embarrassing story Ooh, embarrassing story you can't be and you can't be you can't be drunk it has to be like a like a sober embarrassing story that you can laugh at today Maybe something that once made you cringe that now you can laugh at. Oh my gosh. The only one that's coming to my head, I like cannot talk about. So we cannot do that one. <laughs> um, let's see. I did something really mean to my twin sister um, when I, I was like, you were a twin. yeah, I'm a twin when I was six years old. And we laugh about it now. It's kind of like sad. Like at the time, it was like, I cannot believe I did that. Basically, (laughs) there was this popular group of kids on the playground in kindergarten. And my sister was part of the group. But But I wasn't. I was the tomboy. I was playing. I was like rolling mud balls and like rolling these big mud balls down the hill. I was like with the boys. And then I decided like, I want to be with the cool girls. And for whatever reason, I felt like if my twin was in the group, then I couldn't be. So I knew I had to get her out. So I wrote this like horribly mean letter to the leader of the group. And then I and then I signed my sister's name and I went and I gave it to her. And I was like, look what my sister said about you. What did you write? What does a kindergartner write? That's really mean. (laughs) 
your <laughs> hair is stupid and you're so mean and you're stinky and like just all this like mean stuff right stinky. and she got kicked out of the group and I got let in Ooh. oh my gosh I can't believe I admitted that but hey we were young it was kind of how did huh and so she obviously knew your sister she was pissed <laughs> And did it last? <laughs> yeah. Like I was then like in that group and oh she went to go play with the boys. Like this might've changed the whole trajectory of our lives. You never know. Um, yeah, it probably was meant to happen. <laughs> yeah. Twins. It's weird. If your twin is like part of something, you feel like you can't be because you're so often just considered the same person. So I think any of the twins out there listening will kind of get it. Like she played basketball and I really wanted to play basketball. So I like put my foot down. I was like, no, basketball is my sport. Um, and there's just other stuff growing up. But hey, we love each other now. We get along great. But there was Are y'all identical. We're, we're fraternal. OK. And yeah, people actually think we don't look anything alike. Anything alike. Yeah. Do you feel like you have that like that like twin intuition that people talk about or do you think that's just identical? So I feel like we do. And there's been a couple instances where it's been true. I was in a car accident, like a pretty bad one in Montana, icy roads, you know, um, and we she was at school and she knew that something had happened to me before anybody else knew. Like she just had the sense. So there's been a couple times in our lives. I've had it like when she was going into labor, I could feel that it was going to happen. I swear. I know it sounds crazy, but no, I so I, I do. I believe in the little the twin intuition for sure. Well, I mean, it's kind of like a lot of adult children. It's like we develop a sixth sense. Like I knew when my mom was going to pick up a drink like hours before she would pick up a drink. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that the hyper hyper awareness. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So have you ever, have you ever looked at the laundry list before? I don't think so. Okay. So this is the, let me share my screen. So this is the 14 traits of an adult child. Um, I want to see if any of them you relate to, or perhaps one's <clears throat> related to. Yeah. Let's take a look for sure. Okay. So isolated and afraid of people and authority figures. Yes. Oh yeah. The second one hugely. So became an approval seeker and lost my identity. That was me a thousand percent because I actually lost my mom at a really young age. Um, How old? I, so I was five. Oh wow. Um, was it unexpected? And, yeah. Completely unexpected. And mm. So what happened for me was fear of abandonment. Um, mm. So so my biggest thing was not being abandoned. And then my dad remarried and I basically had the stepmom from hell. So that was really where I kind of experienced my emotional abuse. <sighs> and just that fear of abandonment was really cemented for me early on. Okay, I want to we'll circle back to that. Yes. Okay. Do you want me to Whatever. read through these? Just read through them and just pick, you know, okay. if there's one that really speaks to you. Okay. Uh, be, we either become alcoholics, marry them, or both. Find another compulsive personality, such as a workaholic, to fulfill our sick abandonment needs. Oh, my gosh. Yep. 
Just going to say a big yep to that one. (laughs) We have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility. Yep. And it is easier for us to be connected with others. Oh my gosh. Hello. Why did I become a psychologist? I did not want to hear any of my own stuff. I just wanted to help other people. So I absolutely relate to that. Um, so we, we confuse love and pity and tend to love people we can pity and rescue for me. Yes. Because I felt like that was the way that I could guarantee that I wouldn't be abandoned. If I knew that they needed me, then I wouldn't be abandoned. Um, so we've stuffed our feelings from our traumatic childhoods or have lost the ability to feel or express our feelings because it hurts so much. Absolutely. That was me. I used to lie about my childhood, which I'm sure many of us have, but I would just not talk about any of it. Um, to the point where I sort of started to believe it myself for, for long periods of my life. Um, we judge ourselves harshly and have a very low sense of self-esteem. That was totally me in the past. That's a big part of my healing was learning how to have self-compassion and really love myself. Um, dependent personalities who are terrified of abandonment and will do anything to hold on to a relationship in order not to experience painful abandonment feelings, which we receive from living with sick people who were never there emotionally for us. Yeah. I shit my pants when I read this the first time. Yeah, this is wild. It's so interesting how even though like my dad, my mom, they they were not alcoholics. My mom left because of the accident that happened and then my dad was a, basically had narcissistic traits and was just very emotional. So so they both left. They were both unavailable, even though they weren't alcoholics. Well, that's why it's called adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. Well, there, I definitely fit in the dysfunctional for sure. Um, Alcoholism is a family. You can skip those two. So um, I want to talk about fear of abandonment and I want to talk about your childhood experience, but I, I wanted to ask you this question. I've been meaning to ask my therapist this, but you know how um, complex PTSD is often misdiagnosed as borderline? Yes. Okay. So I was going to make a TikTok video about this, explaining the differences. But then when I was looking up the differences, I was like, huh? And what it was talking about was how people with borderline have the fear of abandonment, but that people with complex PTSD don't, which I thought sounded absolutely crazy. But there's like tons of articles about that. Have you heard, read that, heard that? So that's interesting. That's definitely not how I would conceptualize it. Not to say, yeah, right. Like I'm, I'm with you. Both of them have fear of abandonment. In my mind, it's simply um, the way that the person is coping with it is showing up differently. And also if we think about borderline personality disorder, um, it's like so, so entrenched over a long period of time. That's why it's a personality disorder. Whereas complex PTSD, there's more room for someone to have found some better ways of coping and they're learning how to move through it. And um, so to me, I would rarely ever, ever as a psychologist, give out a personality disorder diagnosis. Rarely, rarely. It's only if I say, wow, this person really has not shown signs of improvement like this is their personality i sorry i know this is a ram but i mean back no. in when the dsm first came out you know in in the past 
psychologists would give out personality disorder diagnoses much more easily. But now there should be a general consensus that they're rarely given out. Is that helpful? Well, yeah, at all? Kind of like with personal, well, like multiple personality disorder, like that's not really. Have you seen that there's all these fucking kids on TikTok like pretending that they have DID? Girl, you're cooler than me. I'm not on TikTok yet. Oh my god, I have to show you. Well, I just heard about it on a podcast. It's fucking crazy. It's so fake. That's it. Really pisses me off. Yeah, I don't feel like that's a good idea because we think about the stigma <laughs> with mental health. It's like, come on, y'all, let's not do that. Well, no, I mean, but that's the problem with the society that we like live in today is that kids are going to do anything for attention. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's just so misunderstood. I agree. I agree. So how long after your mom passed away did your dad get remarried? So this is a really complicated story. And I guess it's it's complex trauma. I uh -huh. say I, I lost my mom. She she had a brain injury. So she was basically in a vegetative state. Mm. So she was physically there, but she was, was in an accident. She was allergic to latex, but she was told by a doctor that she was not. And she was basically accidentally exposed to latex. And we lived way, way, way out in the country. Um, and an ambulance could not get there in time. And the oxygen was cut off to her brain. And she went into a vegetative state. So what happened is my dad then took care of her. And you can imagine your life gets turned upside down. You have this. Was she at home? Yeah. Well, after she left the hospitals, she came home and it was it was horrible as a kid because they had said, oh, your mom's going to get better. Your mom's going to get better. And of course, Ugh. you know, years go by and she doesn't get better. Was she just and bedridden? So she couldn't move. She could not speak. She was bedridden. She had um periods of yelling, which I don't know why that happened exactly, but it was honestly, it was terrifying as a kid. Oh my God. Yeah, it was. So I say I lost my mom um, because I did. I mean, she, she essentially died and then she did die 20 years later. She was 20 years in a vegetative state. Oh my God. So when I was 25, she passed away. Um, yeah, it was oh terrible. It yeah, terrible. it's like way worse. I feel like that is like so much more traumatic than if she had just passed away. That's the thing that I believe as well. And just knowing her, she would not wanted to have lived that way. I have great memories of her. She was a mm. um, special uh, special education teacher. She loved <sighs> life. She she rode horses. She had all these friends at the coffee shop, and she just like host these social hours on Sundays with these, you know, 15 women and she was beautiful and loud. And like, if she would have known that that's how she was going to live, she would have never have wanted it. Um, mm. But at the time of the accident, they said, oh, there's a 50% chance that she's going to recover. Mm. Um, and of course she, she never did. So did you guys have to have like live in care for her? Yes. It was my dad and live in care. Yep. Okay, and then, so then when did the other woman enter the picture? 
So it happened when I was five, total whirlwind from there. We actually, we got uprooted and moved from Montana to Austin, Texas, because it was supposed to be the best medical facility because they were trying to get her to recover. Right. So we go there for a year. What at UT? Like at the school? Yeah, I I believe it was. Yeah. Um, We were there for a year. No changes happen. We moved back to Montana. By this time, I'm seven. So about two years have gone by. My dad starts dating. And then basically what happened is he hid it from my mom's family. Um, He just kind of introduced us. Like there was no real talk about it. He was like, this is your your stepmom, basically. Your mom's living in the house still. Yeah. And then what my dad did is he said, I can't do this anymore. He took my twin sister and I and his new girlfriend, and he moved us to Seattle, Washington, away from my mom and my mom's sisters. Um, Did he put her in a home? What did he do with her? He left her with my mom's sisters, my aunts, who are incredible women. Um, And they, my aunt Peggy specifically, came uprooted her life and took care of my mom from that point on and then the one of the most traumatic things was this woman she hated my sister and I like from the beginning and she made us call her mother immediately did she have any kids herself no but then my dad and her had a child and of course that child was so loved and adored and all the toys and my sister and I were getting clothes from Goodwill and this baby was getting all this amazing new stuff. And we were locked in our rooms. We couldn't leave. We were forced to be homeschooled. It was, it was hell. Girl, how are you not so much crazier than you are? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why, because at age 12, I said, I cannot do this anymore as a 12 year old. Because it was so bad. I I knew as a 12-year-old, I was like, I am going to run away. I'm going to start doing drugs. Like I knew my life was headed in a terrible direction. So I said, I'm going to live in Montana with my aunts. And I left my dad and my stepmom. Did sister come with you? My dad made her about six months later. Which So she has her own trauma around that. Like my dad kind of abandoning her but she Um, was treated the same way she was okay so that i mean there's a 2020 like episode on my family i it's it it was it was horrible yeah from from when my mom had her accident for sure yeah can i find it I have never tried to find it, but it's probably worth looking it up. I should see if I can find it and I'll, I'll let you know. What the hell? I, I, I can't believe I'm just learning about this. <clears throat> well, was it just cra- about the latex allergy? It was about the latex. And then it was about um, what had happened to my mom. And her case was one of the reasons why they started outlawing latex gloves in hospitals. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. God, I feel like I just know so much more about you now. That's crazy. I don't the the interesting thing is I don't really talk about it that much. As you can imagine, I just 
I mean, it's taking me, it's taken me decades to even be able to have this kind of conversation with you. And even now, as I'm talking about it, I totally cut myself off from my emotions Mm. as a coping skill. I still can't like really feel into what happened. And I'm, I'm aware that I do that. So that was how my, so that one trait, um, uh, we have stuffed our feelings from our traumatic childhoods and have lost the ability to feel or express because it hurts so much. So for me, I didn't think that that was applicable to me because I've always been able to talk about it, mm. but it would be like, I was like a news reporter, yeah, like standing in front of a burning house, but it's actually my house that's burning down. Exactly. And so I realized that that wasn't like, cause when I would talk about it, I had no emotions. Yep. So I thought that that meant that I wasn't, I thought, cause I could talk about it, that that meant I wasn't stuffing it, but that's not true at all. Um, it's, it's yeah. not, we, we can learn to dissociate emotionally like I've done. And of course, of course, you know, with my partner, for example, my boyfriend, one of the pivotal moments in our relationship was when I opened up about my childhood because mm-hmm. his childhood was pretty fucking great. I'm not going to lie. Like I met both of his okay. parents, like he had like a pretty great childhood. So it felt like this big thing to share. And I was able mm-hmm. to break down and cry and tell him the full story and be totally vulnerable with him and have him really hear me. And that was one of the things that really deepened our relationship. Wow. Well, more, more layers of healing, right? I mean, I still, I mean, I've worked through a lot of stuff, but I know that there's still, there's still a lot of grief and sadness that needs to come up for me. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of crying that still needs to be done. Same. I think it's the things like when you don't have your mom in your life, whether they're living or you simply just have to have boundaries, right? If you don't have your mom and you go through these different things in life where you see other, it's, it's the mother wound. You see other women who maybe they're going on trips with their mom or they're planning their wedding with their mom or, you know, they have the grandmother for their grandkids. And it's, it's this deep wound of, oh my gosh, I... I will never know what that's like. I will never have that. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our stories are similar in the sense that like, you know, my mom was the alcoholic, right? So, I mean, I didn't, I found out that she was an alcoholic when I was seven. I didn't lose her completely like you did, but I would lose her temporarily. Right. Like, you know, um, and then my dad was a workaholic, you know, and he put, he put his job and money above my happiness, my safety and my well-being. So lots of kind of similarities there. Yeah, totally. My dad really was a workaholic as well because I felt like he could not deal with what had happened in our family. So he would spend 80 hours a week working and leave my sister and I at home with our with our stepmom experiencing the emotional abuse that we did. So And what was his awareness of what was going on? <sighs> wasn't. He did not really. I I think he probably knew, but I actually think he was terrified of standing up to her. And did you ever have a conversation with him about it? I not until I said, look, I'm leaving. I'm done. And it's interesting. Oh, my God. Talk about repetition compulsion. I realized I took that same pattern into my adult romantic relationships where I would never stand up for myself. 
Mm-hmm. And then I just be like, I'm done. Yeah. And I would leave. So I started to realize, oh my gosh, that's the same thing I did with my dad. I was too scared to give feedback. I just ran. We talk about disorganized attachment style. That was me disorganized. I really, I don't want to be abandoned, but I also can't be close and I can't give you feedback. Um, but yeah, I don't think he would have done anything if I had, because he was coping. He, he also, he had a mom who was a single mom who worked full time. He was making his own meals at the age of nine. Like he dropped out of high school and moved across the country, did his own thing. He never had a parent. So I just, you know, it's not to validate it, but he didn't know how to be a parent, basically. Right? Yeah, no, we're all just a product of our own upbringing. I mean, it's not yeah. excusing it, but like, yeah, it's not and- like he made a conscious decision. You know, it's like he did, he did the best that he could do. Yeah. His, his birthday was a few days ago. He turned 60 and I had a fucking breakdown. <laughs> It's like, wow, my dad is getting older and I need to work on this relationship with him. If I actually want a relationship, I have to really work on it. And it's something I've started to do, but it was only after I had done so much therapy, so much of my own healing that I felt like I could even have the capacity to really tell him what it was like to be me as a child in the relationship with him. But it's starting to change. I will say that. No lucky you. <laughs> I know that's not the case for everyone. And there's, I just, I have zero expectations of him now, right? It's like, we all have those expectations of we want that father figure. Mm-hmm. And now I just look at it as a relationship. He's more like a friend. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, it feels good to try to build a relationship with him. But I realize that's not possible for everybody. For everyone, Exactly. So, um, you, so you go back to Montana. I mean, how open were you with your, your aunts about how, what was, what you were, had been experiencing? It would come out and they would be furious. It would come out in little ways. Just us being excited about getting to eat something that wasn't hamburger helper. Like we, we had hamburger helper every single night. Um, not that that's like that now, huh? No. Oh, girl. (laughs) I would vomit at the sight of hamburger helper. (laughs) Like this. So, I mean, there's just like little, little things like asking permission to leave my bedroom, Mm. things like that. (laughs) So my aunts were furious. They were furious. They were so, you know, they just knew that if my mom, could have seen this she would have I mean it just it would not have been good and so what did you when was the first time that you went to see a therapist so I went so much just like you I started going as a child and just like you I had a lot that were not that good I remember I had one that would play card games with me like that was how (laughs) she oh no war like like my emotions were supposed to show up in the freaking card games I don't know um I had one that would draw pictures etc um it wasn't until graduate school I was my second year in my PhD program I was dating a narcissist 
I had a near death experience and I went to therapy with a really good therapist for the first time ever. And I was about 24, 25. So let's, let's, let's get into this relationship. How'd you meet? Oh, this is hilarious. So I had just finished a spin class. It was 9 a.m. downtown Portland on the streetcar. And I looked up. um, You were in grad school at this point? Yeah, I was in grad school. Where did you go to undergrad? Undergrad was U of M, University of Montana Uh in Missoula. Uh And the Grizzlies. And then my PhD was at Pacific Uh and our university. Our mascot is the boxer, which is really weird. But um, so yeah, I'm at the Portland streetcar, got out of this spin class. It's 9 a.m. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I think I was like taking good care of myself. And this guy's there and he's super hot. He's like tall, dark, and handsome. Um, he's in like a really nice looking outfit. And I go and I just start talking to him because I'm pretty extroverted. Like I'll talk to whoever. And it was just us on the streetcar. Um, so we start talking, whatever, whatever. And then I'm like, hey, I'm going to go get some lunch. Do you want to come? And he's like, oh, gosh, you know, I'd love to come, but I don't I don't have my wallet. Um, mm. Are you OK paying for me? And I'm like, yeah, of course. I'd love to take you out. <laughs> First red flag. So I go to lunch with this guy. It turns out he got so drunk last night. He actually was on the streetcar because his car got towed from downtown Portland and he lost his wallet, but I take him out and that must've really meant something to him. And then the love bombing starts girl, mega love bombing. And this is me. I have all these wounds about being desired and being wanted and felt like I was abandoned. And then all of a sudden I have somebody showering me in freaking Mm -hmm. like Chanel um, buying me perfume, buying me outfits, taking me out to the fanciest places in Portland, flying me to Chicago. What did like he do if, for work? He worked at Intel. He was an engineer. Those okay. dang engineers. I'm just kidding. I, I have nothing against engineers, but <laughs> um, yeah, he he made really good money. He introduced me to his family. Oh my gosh, this was a big thing for me. Like his mom and dad were great people. His sister was amazing. I felt like I had a family. A family. Unit. And it just meant so freaking much to me to have that. Um, so the first six months were bliss. And then it all started where the, the the narcissism came out. He was. When did you, what, like, what, like, give me a, what, what did you kind of first noticing it? Like, what were some things? It's the small signs, right? Like we all talk about this. Like at first it was like, I hate when you wear your hair in a ponytail. It looks so much better down. Or your friend Mariah is an idiot. Why do you hang out with her? You shouldn't hang out with her anymore. Or you're so broke. Why do you live in this part of town? I can't believe that you're living in this shitty apartment. So it just got progressively worse until one of one of the craziest things he did. And I can kind of laugh about it now. I know it's not really funny, but um, we have to laugh at it. We have to laugh at it. We were like running around the Portland waterfront. And of course, I was conscious about my weight and I felt like I was never skinny enough. Um, And we were running and we were on like mile four of this six mile run. And he's like, 
hurry up you big fat beached whale like he's just like (laughs) yelling that back at me I'm like what were the people thinking that were like watching this happen (laughs) so stupid it's so stupid he would just yell he would just like yell insults at me all the time I remember he uh, and then of course the alcohol started so he definitely had substance issues um he was using drugs I had no idea I didn't really know enough about drugs to know the signs did Um, you move in with him we basically did live together for a while yes yeah and then it got really bad yeah I had a a near-death experience where um there was a witness and I was fine but you're looking like you want me to tell the story yeah You know what podcast you're on? <laughs> <laughs> wow. My podcast is called Let's Get Vulnerable, but I actually think yours is more vulnerable than mine. I'm just going to go ahead and say it because I, I feel like I'm at, a th- I'm, at, I'm at like a hold back here. I'm at like a hyper hyper speed therapy session right now. Mm-hmm. Or like tell tell the narrative of your life. Um, so I just want to say what I do like, here. Yeah. Trigger I warning. guess anybody who. Yeah. Yeah. Trigger warning. Um, so, okay. So. Yeah. Do you think I, I was going to let you tease that and not like, who do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think you know me well enough by now. <laughs> I ain't gonna fly. My list- <laughs> so my listeners are going to be so jealous. They'll be like, what? You told this story on someone else's podcast before you told it on ours, but I'll just tell them to come listen to your podcast. So yes. it'll be fine. Um. All right. So. How do I set this up? So it was about at this point, it was about a year, almost a year and a half, maybe it gets so blurry that whole time I was like dissociated and, you know, but anyway, were you being on, well, were you, let me ask you this. Were you, was anybody aware of what was like of the reality of the relationship? Were you ever opening up to anyone? I had a, my, my best friend, Mariah, um, she knew. You supposed to talk to anymore. Yeah. Yeah. The one that I got isolated from and she had, she had moved out because she could not watch it happen anymore. So she knew oh, you guys were living together. We had been, and then she moved out, and then I moved in with him. But so yeah, she knew. Are, are you getting snacks for this part? That's that's a good idea. Just grab. Reese's oh, cups. the Reese's cups. I, I know, nice. I'm hungry. So oh my gosh, peanut butter and chocolate. Yes. Yeah. You um, that beach whale. <laughs> I kind of laugh at that now. I'm like, how creative was that? Just like, can we add that to your Instagram bio? <laughs> Beach twill. <laughs> oh my gosh. So the isolation was real. Like, mm-hmm. I had barely any friends. I had one clinical supervisor. So keep in mind, I'm doing therapy with people as I'm going through this. I'm having to see clients. Of course. So I'm a total, total shit show and I'm having to like show mm-hmm. up for people and do therapy, mm-hmm. which I always maintain professionalism and, you know, but I did have one clinical supervisor who she kind of knew something was up. Like she was super intuitive. Um, but other than that, like my family didn't know. I was ashamed. I couldn't tell my family. They would have been like, how did you end up in this scenario? You know? But yeah, so one night he calls me, he's drunk, and he says, I need you to come pick me up, otherwise I'm going to drink and drive. 
And we were kind of on the rocks at that point. But I, in my heart, so my grandparents were killed by a drunk driver Mm. when my mom was 11. Mm. So I have this big thing about drinking and driving. Like it's a real trigger to me if I think someone's going to do it. It really, really bothers me. And he obviously knew this too. He knew it. So he said, if you don't come pick me up, I'm going to drink and drive. And to me, I was like, absolutely not. That's not happening. So he gives me the address. I go. I thought it was a house. It was like this little shitty bar in Southeast Portland. And he's there. He has a woman. Like I go into the bar. And I remember this. There's like a woman on his lap and he's kissing her. Mm. And we are supposed to be (laughs) in a relationship. So I see it. I see it happening. Can you give me this guy's number afterwards? I'd like to date him. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Anyways, I I like want to say his name, but I'm not going to. So I see him making out with this girl and my immediate response is to flee. So I do. I actually run the other way. And then he comes out after me. He saw you. Yeah, he saw me. So he comes out into the parking lot and I'm trying to get away in my car. And I've got um, the car door open and I'm trying to get in, but he won't let me. So he starts screaming all these things like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to whale. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to drive this car. I'm going to drive this car off the bridge. You know how Portland is. There's so many bridges. He's like, I'm going to drive this car off the bridge and kill us both. So he pushes me in to the passenger seat and he gets in the car. And thank God there was someone there in the parking lot who called 911. And we got pulled over. Like, that's how fucking close it was. And so So, he got arrested for a DUI. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a police report. And it was, I kid you not, I saw my life flash before my eyes. Like, I thought I was dying in that moment. So Did he get charged with anything else? I tried and I felt like I just didn't know. I I think a lot of women go through this. Like you're so emotionally exhausted. I just couldn't navigate the legal system. Like there was a police report. Mm -hmm. I remember I'm trying to go to graduate school. I have to like see 14 clients a day and I'm just like so exhausted. I just didn't have the capacity to follow through with it. Like I got as far as a restraining order and there was a restraining order, um, but I didn't do anything else. So after that happened, did you ever see him ever again? Yeah, I did. Not on purpose. Well, actually, there was one time where it was on purpose now that I say that, but uh, it was like Portland was a small community. So like I'd be going to the gym or whatever. And there he was. And it was terrifying. Oh, and he made death threats to me. Yeah, I was going to say, did he retaliate? Oh, yeah. Majorly. Majorly. Death threats, like, called my places of work and said he was going to blow up the buildings. Like, it was a nightmare. It was a total nightmare. Yep. 
Do you know whatever happened to him? So, God, like the funny thing is like he would still, I mean, I know this is the thing with narcissists. They just never give up. He would still call me. He sent freaking flowers to my office in San Diego. Like four years later, I had moved away to a different office. He found it, sent flowers to it. Um, he would find everywhere I worked and then email me at my work emails. And then even like a year ago, he freaking calls me from an unknown number and he goes, hey, this is I, I hear you've got a great relationship business. I need some help. Do you think you could help me? And I just immediately hung up the phone. So like, in what universe do you think I would help you? But this is the narcissist. Like, they He's so sick. He's so oh, yeah, yeah, sick. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I, you know, at the end of the day, I do have so much compassion for him. Like, I know he has so much uh-huh. healing to do. And I actually really hope that he's doing it. I think he'd be capable of it. It breaks my heart for his family. They're really? really? Do you really- think so? I mean, because I feel like a, I feel like a lot of narcissists aren't really capable of healing if they're a true narcissist. <sighs> if here's the deal, like I don't think that I just would love to see him get to a place where he's not doing any harm to people. You know, like maybe he's not going to be. Yeah, capable. that would be ideal. But yeah, is that, <laughs> but is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. But I mean, so that was the thing that launched my healing journey and threw me into therapy. It was basically, I mean, I had suicidal ideation. I was like, it was go to therapy or not live, basically. Die. Yeah. yeah. You know? So, so how long I, do you feel like it took you to pull yourself out of that? Honestly, about a year at least. Mm. Yep. And then I didn't date for a long time um, until I did start dating. And then it was still a total shit show because I still hadn't done enough healing. Um, But I started to learn a ton about attachment theory. I started to learn about mindfulness, self-compassion. I went to therapy. um, And eventually, I was able to start having great, healthy relationships. Oh, I do. I have a funny story about him. I was walking in downtown Portland with him. This is when we were first dating and the love bombing was happening. And we see one of his exes. And I kid you not, she took off in a dead sprint in the other direction. And at the time he was like, (laughs) oh, she's so psycho. And I just believed it. But it's like, okay, y'all, if you run into one of your partner's exes and they take off in a dead sprint, like take that as a red flag for sure. So like looking back in like in hindsight, I feel like it's so difficult. Like even, even if we are a little bit suspicious or have some sort of an awareness that it's like love bombing. I mean, like how the fuck does somebody like walk away from that? before it gets bad, you know? Yeah. I was definitely in a fantasy land where I just felt like, oh, this is it. I'll finally be loved. And it just felt so good to be part of a family. And, you know, he told me he loved me all the time. And that was all I wanted. And 
I think the key is, gosh, well, the love bombing, when it moved so fast, it was day three and he was telling me he loved me. Oh, wow. On day three. (laughs) When it moves so fast, you have to be able to say, okay, this relationship is not built on reality. Mm. Let's build a foundation on reality, okay? You Mm -hmm. know? I just didn't know that. And it felt so good to me. It was such a core need. All I wanted was to be loved because I also wasn't loving myself at all because I didn't know how at that time. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I think now if you were to have that happen and I think for me too, um, it would be like, it, we wouldn't be as, a, we wouldn't be as drawn to it. You know what I mean? Oh, like it would, it would seem, it would seem unattractive. It would seem red flaggy. Yes. It would feel off right away. And then you would set a boundary and you would see how the person reacted to the boundary. And then you would go from there. And if they react poorly to a boundary, there's your information. Okay. This is not, I didn't even know what the hell boundaries were back then. I didn't know how to communicate anything, you know? Yeah. That's one of the biggest things I teach in the course is about like pacing emotional investment because it's so easy. Like it's it's just so easy to do. Yeah. It is yeah. really hard. Um so you said that you were still a bit of a shit show and that you still had more healing to do, but like talk about um, I don't know, some like baby steps or like some wins and lessons that you had to learn or just how you navigated through that process. Cause I think as I, as I said on your podcast, you know, we do the work alone, but then we have more shit to work out in relationship. So talk about that, that experience for you. Yeah, I was really good at dating emotionally unavailable people. So I was no longer dating abusive people, but I just started dating people who were emotionally unavailable, who couldn't really give to me. Um, A lot of people I dated would never say I love you. So they would really struggle to be close. Right. And what I realized is part of my attraction to emotionally unavailable people was I was scared of being loved because when I was loved in the past, it was that abusive, crazy Mm -hmm. experience. So I would seek Mm -hmm. out people who were emotionally unavailable. Mm -hmm. Um, But but one of the things I did is I built routines for myself. Like, I know that sounds so simple, but just the act of saying, hey, I really value taking care of me. And I'm going to make non-negotiable routines for myself and ways that I give to myself. That really started to help me heal my self-worth. And so what Um, were those things? What were some of those routines? Yeah. So I started making it a non-negotiable to have physical movement in my day. So some kind of workout. Um, I started connecting with my family, making sure that I would never, ever in my life let my family and friends be lost. Like I did that in that relationship. I completely isolated myself. So 
making it a priority to call people. I know it sounds simple, but connect with my friends and family. Um, and then of course healing, right? Like making sure I always had a therapist. I had a coach. I had somebody in my corner who was helping me heal. Um, and then another thing that's really helped me is uh, developing my spiritual life. Um, and that actually came more for me in 2020 when I lost a friend um, to, to suicide. But really developing my spiritual life helped me a lot as well. Um, but I think it comes down to those non-negotiables, those things that you know that you have to do so that you're functioning well. Like fill up your yeah. cup first. It sounds so simple, but especially as a therapist, like I was so programmed to take care of everybody else before myself. I never, I worked so, so hard. I never had stopped and built ways to take care of me. Yeah. And I think that too has to go with those routines and continuing to take care of yourself. I feel like it's I think it's almost virtually impossible to do that until some of the trauma is addressed, you know, because it, 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 it was like, it that was just completely impossible for me. You know, I was the type of person where I would, you know, in between relationships, I'd be feeling good about myself, taking care of myself, working out, like all those things. But as soon as I got into a relationship, all those things would go out, you know, the back door, but I, it, I, I really was powerless. I, I really didn't have an option, you know, it's but true. it's through working through that stuff that I can now not become a hostage to the relationship immediately. It's so, so true that if we haven't done that internal work or we haven't shifted our beliefs around, hey, I am worthy of prioritizing myself, even if I'm in a relationship, right? Like we have to learn how to shift our belief systems because we had this old relationship template, our old ways of being in relationships where the relationship became the number one thing, right? No matter what's going on in your life. So it is such an important shift. And you can say that say, for people to have compassion with for themselves because, yeah, I mean, I really fucking beat the shit out of myself because of that. And the reality of the situation is like, I really was powerless. I want to read you this quote. Um, there's this book called, it's, there's the Abandonment Recovery Workbook. It's with um, Susan Anderson. I had her on my podcast. She's fucking amazing. You should have her on yours. But this is a quote that she says, um, she goes, um, internalizing is the most critical stage of abandonment when your body and soul incorporate the deep personal wound of losing someone's love. Without recovery, this wound can live a permanent scar. It burrows beneath the surface where it continues to generate insecurity and under undermine your self-esteem for decades to come. She says, Peter Yelton, a friend and personal guru, says that abandonment is a profound enough trauma to implant an invisible drain deep within the self that works insidiously to siphon off self-esteem from within. The paradox for abandonment survivors is that no matter what they do to build their self-esteem, the invisible wound of abandonment is always working to drain it away. Mm, Isn't that powerful? That, that's so powerful. I definitely relate to that being my lived experience until I address those core wounds. Exactly. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think that that really speaks to people's experiences. 
you know, she says abandonment is a cumulative wound containing all of the disconnection, disappointments and heartbreaks of a lifetime. My current heartbreak had reopened that wound and bombarded me with emotional memories of a painful past. Yes. And I love this because you said this when you were on my podcast talking about how when we realize, oh my gosh, this breakup that I'm having right now is not just about this breakup. It's about all the times in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So talk about your coaching practice. So as a psychologist, I realized that there were still so many people really struggling in relationships. And I realized that not enough people knew about attachment theory. So I wanted to really make a way where people could get access to attachment theory and they could apply it to their dating lives and kind of have a framework of how to move through their healing and how to start to date as a securely attached person. Because psychotherapy is great. I love it. It gives us so much awareness. But with this work, it's actually really helpful to have a guide and to have a framework and say, well, hey, this is what you should do. So I built this program that, you know, it's part transformational to help you move towards secure attachment. Um, But then it also gives you some of the tools that you need to show up as a securely attached dater. So and it's it's just for women. I do have men who apply sometimes, but it's it's for women. And so far, we've helped hundreds of women. And it just helps me so much. It's it's so fulfilling to me to get to see these women go through a transformation. It really is healing and having them have high self-worth and then step into their dating lives in a whole new way. And there's been marriages and engagements and babies and people having great relationships. And it just fills my heart up so much. I I love what I do. Well, I want to have you back soon so we can dive more into attachment because I know that that's something that my audience wants to talk oh my about. Gosh. But today we had to get to know you. <laughs> we just start with the vulnerable stuff. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, thank you for holding space for me to share this. Like I said, this really isn't something that I've shared other places. So I really I seem to have that impact effect on people. <laughs> yes, do. you do. It's a talent. <laughs> you, mm. you should like be a podcast host or something. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. This is awesome. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Mm, that was great. And don't tell me what to do. And don't tell me what to say. And please, when I go out with Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that you could relate to. As always, I know you did. Thank you, Morgan, for being so vulnerable. Go check out the show notes for all of her links, etc. You can also find links to my social media on there. I am at Adult Child Pod on Instagram and TikTok, and I really need you to go and follow me. Um, you can also DM me or shoot me an email. I love hearing from y'all next week. Um, not sure. I might do step four. I haven't done a step episode in a little bit, um, but I also have a few interviews. Whatever. Regardless, you know it's going to be good. 
and I'm going to be seeing you then. It's going to be super raw, super vulnerable, and I'm super excited for y'all to hear it. It's going to be a goodie, I promise. Thank you.